Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, good morning to you all. Thank you so much for being here at our 1130 service, and uh, for those of you online, thank you for joining us online. I first want to start our time off with a somber moment. Some of you are aware of the incident that happened in Buffalo, New York, um, There were uh, several people killed by a racial terrorist that went into a supermarket, and uh, I believe 10 people were killed. Uh, He was hunting black people. And so we want to take a moment to have a moment of lament. And when we lament, it is not something where we're just trying to have thoughts and prayers. Lament allows us to be angry, allows us to be frustrated, allows us to be confused, And for some of you, you may be feeling that way. Our teaching pastor, Pastor Russell Berry, has given us a lament, one in which we can sit and consider how we feel and how God feels. A lament for Buffalo. Why do they hate us? Why were 10 souls taken because they were black or simply in a black neighborhood? Why do the wicked pursue the righteous? God, we have no answers. And more than answers, we need your presence. We pray for Buffalo, our nation. We pray for white supremacist lies of the shooter be exposed. That the truth and the dignity of your image bearers would be embraced. That justice will be served. That laws to protect us to be installed, that those who are grieving to be comforted and help us hold on to our faith when we have no other answers, but the determination to pray, march, and act. In Jesus' name, amen. For some of you, um, this whenever we have a racial incident in our country, many people ask what they can do. We, by God's grace, do have a justice organization that we are a part of and help to start. Uh, Right now, we have what we call working groups, policy working groups, where we deal with different areas within society that we deal with. So right now, we have three working groups, one that deals with housing, one that deals with education, and one that deals with criminal justice. All of these deal with racial disparities. And so we encourage you to get involved with our organization called Pray March Act, if God would leave you, you would email our admin there, admin at praymarchact.com. Well, let me pray as we get ready to jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word and your ways. Would you lift up the folks there in Buffalo? I cannot imagine the grief of the one that sent their family member to the store only to see them never again alive. I pray for the shooter and their family, and we pray, God, that whatever demonic possession that was overwhelming him, God, we pray that that would not only be exposed, we pray that those who he read, those who he got his ideas from, 
uh, we pray that they would be exposed, that that yoke would be broken. Truly, we are not just wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities and powers. And so there is a demonic structure that overwhelms the heart of someone looking to do evil. God, we pray against all those. We pray for the one that's hating but just doesn't have his gun yet. We pray for the one that is reading but just hasn't created the opportunity yet. Guns are oftentimes a point of controversy. Lord, I pray that today we're able to see that you are the one overseeing this country. Lord, we pray that our laws would truly protect, not just give us freedoms, but protect us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, all right, on a different note. I'm preaching in Romans chapter 14 today. Romans 14, when you look in Romans 14, uh, it comes in light of uh, Paul the Apostle having to deal with issues of righteousness. The book of Romans is really dealing with how do you know God? And so in Romans chapter one through three, he's really been saying that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying that we're all sinners. And then throughout the Bible, throughout that book, he's trying to help us to see that only Christ is able to pay the penalty for our sins. And then he goes on in six, seven, and eight, and he's trying to show us how righteousness is lived out because we're sinners and how do we live it out? So we need the Holy Spirit. And then once you get to chapter 11 and 12, now we're dealing with the practical implications. So that's why last week we were talking about God and government. How are we supposed to be responding to the government in light of us and who we are as believers now? Now, as Paul gets into the practical applications of the word of God, and what does it mean to know God? In chapter 14, he's now dealing with what we call gray areas when there's not simple answers. See, as a pastor, one of the things that I get the divine right to do is answer people's questions. And I get questions all the time about doctrine, about situations, about relationships, about jobs. I get the divine opportunity to break down a verse and talk to people about their lives. It's seriously just a unique thing, right? And so when I get those opportunities, I'm, I'm blessed that I get to say, this is what God thinks. That's what people ask me for. But there are some things I've never been asked about, ever. No one has ever asked me, is it cool with God if I lie on my taxes? No one's ever asked me that. No one said, hey, I'm thinking about cheating on my wife. What you think God thinks? I'm thinking about slapping my boss in the face. What do you think God thinks? How does God feel about that? That's a gray area. I'm trying to work it out. No one's ever thought, said that. No one's asked me about murder. No one's asked me about, asked me about lying. No one's asked me about cheating. No one's asked me about stealing. Why? Because those are easy answers. There, we had a whole 10 commandments about that. No one asked me about those things. And so that when I talk about the Ten Commandments, I'm talking about these laws that Moses had. Well, those laws led to other laws. So when you look in the Old Testament, there were close to 700 laws that the people of God had for every kind of situation. So you had, you had moral laws. So murder, theft, stealing, 
Then there were social laws. So if my cow fell into somebody else's property, how do we deal with that? Inheritances, money, all of that. They were detailed laws that dealt with every situation. There were food laws. What was clean? What was unclean? How to cook? how to store the food. There were purity laws. So if there was somebody with a skin disease, how do you deal with mildew? I mean, it was all these detailed laws. No lie, mildew. So all these detailed laws in the Old Testament. But what happens in the New Testament is Jesus comes and he fulfills the law. And he would say this. He would say all the laws hang off of two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he was saying that should guide you. Those two commands should guide all your decisions. Does it help you to love God? Does it help you to love your neighbor? And in Romans 6, this is what he would say. He'd say, thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, having become obedient from the heart. And so now... Things aren't just as simple as saying, go to Leviticus. Now there are detailed situations that you and I get in that aren't easy, that are difficult, that are controversial. And this is what the book of Romans is dealing with on another level because the book of Romans was a diverse community of Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews had once occupied that community But Claudius, the emperor, removed all the Jews from Rome. And once he removed them from Rome, Gentiles then occupied the Roman church. Years later, Jews were allowed to be back in. So when the Jews came back and these Jewish Christians saw Gentile Christians, they now had this controversy about what does it mean to love God and worship God? Because Gentiles had not grown up with the laws. They had grown up just worshiping pagan gods. So the tensions that came about were twofold. First, the Jews, they had all those ceremonial laws, those practices, those dietary laws. They strictly observed the Sabbath. And so because of that, they had a hard time letting that go. Certain days, certain foods, certain sacrifices, They had a hard time letting that go. And then when you looked at the Gentiles, though, this was the Gentiles' problem. They had actually been in other temples. And when they would go to that temple, there would be be meat that would get sacrificed to an idol. And in every temple, there was also a meat market. So they would take the food, they would take the meat that was sacrificed to an idol, and they would now use that as a market, and they would sell that food. So Gentiles would struggle because they would see other people eating food that was sacrificed to a pagan idol, and they would say, I can't eat meat at all. Because what they would say is, that takes me back to old practices and patterns. I fall into old behavior patterns when I do that simple thing of eating meat. And so when you look at Jews classically, and when you look at Gentiles, essentially, Jews are the people that grew up in church. Gentiles, they they didn't go anywhere on Sunday. And so what happens when you have a church full of people who some of y'all went to church growing up, but some of y'all had nothing to do with church? Some of y'all, you know, you, you had a real big strict 
parent that had you there every Sunday. They, they drug you to church. And then some of you, you, you kind of were figuring things out. And as we get into community together, some of us have convictions other people don't have. And, one, and, then, and then the tensions come about when we try to slap verses over a conversation. We don't even have a conversation. And here's what a mature community is. A mature community has nuance. You see, that's what we're losing in our culture, nuance. We want to make everything simple when there are some situations that are complex. We want to throw verses out there. And let me tell you, a lot of times we do that because we want to make things simple and not deal with the gray areas. It's just like my sister. My sister lives in Marietta, Georgia. Marietta, Georgia is 27 miles away from actual Atlanta. But if you ask my sister where she lives, what do you think she says? Atlanta, because she gives you an address close to her address, but it's not really her address. And that's what we do with the Bible. We give verses that are close to an address. We talk about things that are close to it, but it's not really it. Just to make things simple and take away the argument. And so we say, well, nobody should drink. Well, no, the Bible says don't get drunk. And so, and, and so if you want a simple church, you'll never have a mature church. If you want your convictions to define convictions for everybody, then you want a legalistic church. You want, and really, you want a church not molded after the body of Christ. You want it molded after your vision for Christ, how you think things should be. And, and so maturity says... My walk doesn't define everybody's walk. Maturity says, I'm open to learning from how you see things. Now, we're going to talk about this. But when there's a biblical address, well, now that's a different story. But when there's gray, can we be a church with now easy answers? Can we be a church that has nuance? Can we be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit? And that's what defines us. Not a stance. Not a we do this all the time. This is what we're known for. But what if we were known for the Holy Spirit and his power and his peace? So in Romans 14 and 1, it says, he's starting to unpack this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Now, this is very important because when he talks about the one weak in faith, He's actually talking about the person that has a lot of restrictions, a person that sees things in a very finite way, all right? We tend to believe that the person that is very disciplined and that is very moral is the stronger in faith. Let me put it a different way. If two Christians were walking up to you and a person says, I don't drink because I love God, And another person says, well, I don't see anything wrong with drinking. We have a tendency to say, well, that person that has stronger prohibitions, they're stronger in faith. And that's, and that, but, but to be clear, that's not what makes one weak or one strong. The weakness is they don't see the possibility of being mature and having a drink. So, they, so the weakness of faith is an inability to see freedoms in Christ. And that's what he says is actually weak in faith. So I want you to understand We tend to reverse this. We see the person coming with this little light of mine, and they come very religious. 
We tend to think the most religious are the most moral and most mature. When actually he says the one that is free is the one mature. Praise God. So, so, but why is that important? Because, you know, I, I pastored another church before this. And when I was pastoring, you know, I was, I, I did my ministry training through campus ministry. And in campus ministry, you know, you try all things. So we did, we did a casino night. We did, I'm just saying, we did all types of stuff. I didn't know any better. So then God, in his humor, had me pastor a church of people who were, you know, had grown up in church. So I'm trying all different types of things. thinking, And, I, and I'll never forget, we, uh, we had a table that we would always do communion on. We had a table. And one day I put like a computer on the table. The look on these people's faces. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I was shocked because I just wasn't aware how traditions tend to be stronger than actual verses. And, and but this is the reason why. Because Mother, Mother Jenkins, she was blessed. She, she's taken communion on that same table for over 30 years. And for her, she has a deep conviction about communion. That's a good thing. But the problem is when we cannot let our, when our convictions blind us from actual scripture. Our traditions blind us. Some of you left churches because of the traditions. Because, they, we, you know, and, and well, how do we end up with traditions? Traditions are a good thing. They helped us at a certain time. But traditions can become legalism when we do it because we always done it this way. And we don't think about new generations. We don't think about new ways of doing things to reach new groups of people. So... So he talks about who's weak and who's strong, right? So in verse 2, he then delves into the problem. He says in verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables, right? So what is he saying here? It's a very clear application. Vegans are spiritually broken. That's what this is. This is... You didn't get that? You didn't, you didn't grasp the clear teaching from the Holy Spirit? The key, the key to understanding this verse, verse is the word only. One person believes they can eat anything. One person eats only vegetables. One person used to be in a temple, and they used to see meat sacrificed to idols. So now they're like, yo, I cannot eat meat at all. But they see you eating meat, and they're like, how could you eat that meat? It was sacrificed. Now, how dare you do that, right? And so what, 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 um, what Paul says is in verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. You see, you hear that? God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, so what would happen in these situations? A person would, growing up in their faith, 
they would say, hey, I can't eat certain meats. But what would happen is they would say, yo, y'all remember um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that? Remember Daniel? Remember how they didn't eat the king's meat? Okay, that's what I'm doing, right? And they would apply certain scriptural principles and idea to their current behavior, and they would use it as a guide for all. And so in the same way, um, somebody on the opposite end would say, well, wait a minute. I've looked in the book of Acts, and I saw, you know, we, we, we can eat pork now and all past the bacon. What's, what's the problem, right? So now I have a, I got an address, you got an address, and we're sitting there with our guns out, right? Having this scriptural battle. Not warring for souls. Not trying to win people who don't know God. We're warring about certain verses, and that's, that's what was happening. So when he uses these phrases, past judgment, right? So what is important to understand? Valuing a tradition or a habit that we do for as a form of spiritual discipline is a good thing. You need discipline and you need prohibitions. Another way to say it is we all need disciplines and we all need prohibitions. There are certain patterns that I have to do in order to grow. I have to get into my word. I have to pray. And for me, I write. I journal. So that's the way that I grow. I have a journal that goes back to 2001. I have a journal that literally says, I think that girl Natasha is fine. <laughs> From 2001, I have the day and everything. I was like, the Lord told me. <laughs> Friends, I did not tell her that, okay? Fellas, don't try that one. But I, I and, and so it's, it's very easy for me to say it works for me. And so there's a tendency to, for us to let that flow and say it must work for you. Some of y'all hate to write. Some of y'all hate to read. But we have to learn how to worship, though. See, there's a high, you have to get beyond what just works for you and the higher principle. And so those disciplines, but there's another side, there's prohibitions. And so there are certain environments we can't go to. There's certain, there are certain people we can't be around. You see, I have friends that I deeply love, but they do not help me love God. And so I just can't kick it with them. It is not that I do not love them. It is that they're not helping me love God. And I always navigate the level of regret when I'm in an environment. If I walk away and I'm sitting there like, why did I? Then I know that's not healthy for my walk. But you might be able to do it. You might be able to go. I, I threw out when I was, when I, when I first, and I, I have, I say this to you with celebration and regret, but I, you know, I grew up as a huge hip hop head. So, you know, I'm talking EPMD and Eric B and Rakim and De La Soul and Jungle Brothers. Half of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. But all these people that I grew up with, <laughs> Travis Scott. So I grew up with all these people. And so like Biggie Smalls was, was new school to me. Like, that was new. That was, he was like a new Jack. Like, but I'm talking, I'm talking mid-80s. So I had every, I had tapes. And man, when I gave my life to the Lord, I remember throwing that in the trash. And I was just at the trash can like, oh, Father, just <laughs> repent of my ways. 
boy, a week later, I was in that trash can, like, <laughs> biggie, biggie, biggie. But I was just, I was, I wanted it back. But I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't love God and listen to the same things anymore. But I've never preached that secular music in, by definition is a sin, but it can lead you into sin. And that was leading, so that was a prohibition for me. There were friends, there were environments. I just could not be around. See, part of maturity is not just knowing God, it's knowing you. And I have, I have certain licenses on things that you don't. And I have certain laws about myself that you don't. And so what does Paul say? Paul says here in verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Here's what he says. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And that word convinced is where we get the word conviction. You have to have a conviction about what helps you grow and what is a detriment to your growth. I share this, I share this with couples who are dating. Like, well, we don't, want to, we don't want to fall into sin again. Well, then you need to have a time that you're not going to be over their house. They're like, mm, that's a good idea. I'm like, it is. It is. I have, I have more ideas if you'd like. <laughs> you know, and, and so a lot of times what, what, what's happening is we don't want growth. You know, we, we, don't, we don't want that. We want entertainment. And so, and so I, but I'm just telling you, a lot of my discipline, I'd love to say all my disciplines and prohibitions came out of wisdom, where someone told me. Unfortunately, it came out of convictions where I felt bad. And I was like, I do not want to go there again. I don't want to feel that again. I want to be pure, holy. I want to be pleasing in your sight, God. I want to say what's honoring to you, God. And I don't want to say that again. I don't want to be around that again. And so choose wisdom over regret, right? So here's one of the main principles he says then in verse 16 and 17. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what, what he essentially says is, the kingdom, when he says the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, he's saying that you guys are arguing about what foods to eat. And you're arguing about what we should be drinking. You're arguing about days and days in the temple. And he's like, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. He's saying the kingdom of God is about peace and joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. So what do we learn? What is he essentially saying? It is very easy for your church to become about something other than the Holy Spirit, that you become known for this thing you're for or this thing you're against. And I believe what, what he is saying is never let a non-biblical conviction define your church more than the Holy Spirit. That we're, we're the non-drinking church. We're not doing a good job, obviously, <laughs> here at the bar. We're, we're, we're this political church. We're about this. We're about that. No, don't get me wrong. You know, last week we talked about abortion. We will never satisfy one group of people because we're going towards the kingdom of God. 
And whenever you're moving towards a direction, sometimes you got to go left, sometimes you got to go right. It's the direction we're going. We'll never be in neutral. We'll always be aiming towards the king, giving glory to the king and his kingdom. And so that means we might not satisfy you because one day we sound like a Republican and another week we sound like a Democrat and that frustrates you. May we always sound biblical. May we always sound biblical. And I say this, that, and, and I'll never, may, I do, but I, I never want to be neutral. Just so that, I don't want to be known for this. I want to be known for Jesus. And Jesus would not be boxed in. So um, it's with that I want to get to controversial subjects in our day, right? And these are different areas. I, I, when I've counseled people, these are the things that people generally ask me about. Now, I do want to say, <laughs> no one ever asked me about them. It's always their friend. <laughs> so this is for your friend. <laughs> Write this down for your friend. <laughs> Um, tell friend this. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Now, half of y'all don't know what debauchery is, but you've seen it, so you get it. <laughs> debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. So it's talking about being controlled by the Spirit of God and not be controlled by alcohol. That's essentially what that's talking about. So there's a clear, direct address that talks about drunkenness. So if anybody says, well, it's cool for us to get drunk, well, then we're not on the same page. We're not even in the same nation. We're having an international conversation. I'm in the kingdom of God, and, I, and these, this is where I get my direction, okay? So, but what about drinking? Is drinking a sin? Well, Jesus turned water into wine. Alcohol is essentially not a sin, Somebody wants to bring over a bottle of wine, that's fine. But see, this is where we go about prohibitions and disciplines. Some of you are not healthy enough to drink. He said, well, the Bible says don't get drunk. But, but your walk tells me you can't get buzzed. Thou shalt not be buzzed because you can't handle it. You, you can't handle it. I mean, even, even when you're in any kind of altered state, you become someone else, you start saying other things, and you have a level of dependence on it. We going out tonight, I gotta get. And you, that have to kind of defines your freedom and your peace and your joy. And so this would be the same thing then with, with weed. This was a much easier conversation when weed was illegal. <laughs> All these creatives in this church. <laughs> this was a much easier conversation because I was like, well, it's illegal, so <laughs> obey the laws. <laughs> then it became legal and folks was like, well, what does God think? And, and the, the truth is that 
smoking weed is not, not only is it not illegal, smoking weed, there's no verse that prohibits that. Um, the truth is, is that, is it possible? Certainly it's possible. You know, and I've had whole conversations with people. They talk about micro doses and CBD and all this other, and I don't know. I know I can't smoke weed. I know there is no dosage that helps me grow. <laughs> At all. At all. And, and, and I think here, here's the most, there's two things that are super important about that conversation. My greatest fear for weed being legal is the immature. For people who just have, you, you consistently smoke, but you don't consistently pray. Like, and, and, there, and if you don't have a strong prayer life, but you have a strong weed life, where do you really get your peace? And, and that's, that's, not, that's not meant to like, that is meant to convict you. So, I mean, <laughs> but where, where, how could you possibly be getting peace from the Holy Ghost when you don't give him intimate time? If, if we would treat prayer and the word like we do weed, then we'd be like, man, before I go out, I got to get in my word. We would, we would begin to define the word and his ways as a standard operating system. But the culture makes weed that. So it's like, man, if we're going to do something, it'd be better if we were high. So, so, okay, so we're in adult church right now. Children's church, right across the street. It's adult church. Pastor said we could smoke weed. So, so, you have to, so you have to hear this with mature ears. Or you will only hear license. You'll only hear license. The other thing that is, and I... I I went, I, I know, I kind of know our church, obviously, because it's my job, but I did, I text some people, and they gave me all different things that people struggle with, but I concluded, you know, there's really just a few things that I always hear about, um, and that was, you know, drinking, weed, clubs, stuff like that, um, but the other thing is, like, dating and marrying, um, particularly dating unbelievers. All right, so the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, this verse is actually talking about sacrificing to an idol and there would be believers who would go to these idolatrous temples and Paul is asking, why would you even go into this temple and sacrifice to an idol? What partnership do you have with him? And so that's why he puts Christ in Bilal. You're a Christian. Why would you worship to this idol God? And so the imagery that he gives is the phrasing unequally yoked. The phrasing of unequally yoked comes, it's an agricultural term where you would have two ox and these ox, they would have over them a yoke. This yoke would bind them together and they would be able to multiply their work. They'd be able to multiply their impact. 
because they'd always be going the same direction. But oftentimes what would happen is there would be a stronger ox. And if you had a stronger, bigger ox, that ox would end up directing the younger, smaller ox. In other words, the strong ox always led the weak ox. And the idea and the imagery there is not to yoke yourself with anything that would lead you out of the mission of God and onto another mission. Now, why is that important? Because that's the principle we take from that, that if you marry someone that does not know God, there is a very good chance that they will lead you away from the mission of God. They will lessen your impact for the kingdom. You will not multiply your impact for the kingdom. That's what that address is talking about. That address is not saying that marrying a non-believer is a sin. Percentages tell us that if you marry a person of the same faith, everything increases. Longevity increases, fulfillment increases, parenting becomes simpler because you have the same vision. That's the truth. But if you just blanketly say, if you marry a non-believer, God's not pleased. Well, no, God wants you to fully worship him. And I, I, can't, I can't directly say that, but it is my hope that you would stay on mission. It is my hope that you would marry a believer, absolutely. But it is not necessarily a sin, but it could be sin for you. See? See how we in mature land? <laughs> it could be sin for you. It could, you could find yourself, I don't know if I want to go anymore. Hey, babe, let's, let's go to the beach. Why we worship? Let me tell you. And, it, and, it let, and, it, and now you are the weaker ox. You see, if you're the strong ox and you are the one influencing, well, that's a good thing. But I'm not telling you to try to win somebody to Christ to have a relationship. Because the evangelating thing does not work. <laughs> and we tend to increase people's spiritual walk for the sake of increasing your intimacy and it's just like, Pastor, I know they love that. We went, we went to McDonald's. He prayed over the meal. And it was, I just sensed, he just, he's growing. And so I encourage people, like, where they're at is where they're at. God has to do that. What's important? What's important is Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship, right? That's the first thing. You've given yourself fully to God. Verse two, well, then that leads to do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Well, that's the second thing. You begin to offer all your behavior and all your activity to God. Then what's the third thing? Well, the third thing is, by testing, you may discern what? The will of God. And so people want the will of God without sacrificing themselves unto God. We want to jump to verse 3, when the first thing is, give yourself fully to him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I want to leave you with seven just different thoughts as we get ready to close. When you're in a gray area, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, does this align to Scripture? Is there something in the Word of God that addresses this behavior? And does that stop you? Does the Bible, like, 
does that stop you from doing things? Or is it just like, do you just kind of wink at it like, I know it says that, but. Because the obvious, if you, if you're, in other words, if you're not obeying the black and white areas, we don't even need to have a conversation about the gray. Secondly, will this help me grow spiritually? Will I be stronger in my walk? Thirdly, do I have enough self-control to avoid bondage in this area? Four, will immature believers stumble because of this behavior? Because your walk is not just about you. It's about loving others. Do mature believers agree? Now, if you're taking notes, circle that, highlight that, asterisk, underline, italicize. Because that's where people, that's where I see most of the problems. Most times, when I see people walking gray areas, they have not involved anybody with any kind of maturity in the decision. And so they're struggling alone. Will I, will I be able to share my faith effectively? Or will people look at me crazy now? And lastly, will it bring glory to God? Will people see more of God because of my behavior? Use this as a guide. And above all else, love God, love people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We can do nothing without you. As you present your word to us, guide us into all truth. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.